Hey guys, JF Beaulieu here, and uh, it's time for Tom Gelly interview. Tom has been doing such a great work interviewing everybody all over the world, but now, Tom, it's your turn. So it's good to have you. Yeah, awesome. Tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, I really, uh, I have to admit that Tom has been uh, like very inspiring uh, over the last two years. We've been discussing skiing together, and every time I have discussions with you, like I always, you make me reflect a lot, and I really appreciate our discussions. So this one will be on uh, on record. So uh, that's going to be interesting to uh, to hear what what you've been up to. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always. Uh... It's valuable to have these things on record because I've had a lot of emails. It's been really cool from listeners all over all over the world um, saying that they've really enjoyed the podcasts and and gained a, a heap of insight into what some of the better skiers are doing and just some different views on things. And yeah, it's really cool. And I've just been getting hassled lately to to put out another one. Um, people are hungry for more information and and. Uh, more ski ski nerd stuff so it's great we're doing it again yeah i'm really uh, really glad we have the chance to discuss so i just want to know uh, what you've been uh, playing with uh, in your skiing lately uh, what have you been uh, working on and uh, like tell us a little bit about what uh, what do you uh, use as the strategies to develop those uh, those elements yeah sure um, well, I guess it's good to perhaps start out with um, where my skiing was a few years ago compared to now, and um, I would say I would use kind of the words of uh, perhaps uh, forced, a bit rigid, and um, yeah, just the, not as much flow. So I was so focused on trying to be disciplined and holding my body still in this correct picture that I'd kind of forgotten um, just really about flow and, and, and movement of the whole body to get everything functioning and, and, and working more efficiently. Um, so that's where I, I was and I feel I'm getting more towards a relaxed, um, really in tune, supple way of, of skiing. So um, what's, I guess, led to that um, is a couple of things. Uh, people like uh, that I ski with back in Australia, like Paul and Riley, giving me feedback on that sort of um, that sort of stuff, and then I guess taking that feedback and and um, using myself and and going exploring some movement outside of skiing. So uh, I guess it all started when when I first was rolfed, which is a funny word. Uh, uh, rolfers are people that work on um, your body alignment and and the balance. Sort of of, your, of all your skeleton in gravity, so I had someone in Silver Star, Claudia, who's an uh, incredible rolfer, work on me and um, help me iron out and 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 I guess feel some of the imbalances I had that I wasn't really aware of. So we all get picked on um, for you know a, a left turn not being as good as the right, or we can't start a turn as well on our on our on our left foot as as our right. And, you know, all the exercises in the world you do sometimes just you can't quite get it. It feels it feels forced. 
And so through going, stepping outside of skiing and just looking at how my body moves and works just in everyday life, I found those same sort of uh, blockages were there. So um, a few years ago, going and seeing a rolfer helped me to start that path of discovering how to feel, how to move more efficiently and more balanced side to side and feel my structure um, is definitely connected from head to toe and that you can't move one part of your body without it affecting somewhere somewhere else in the chain. So, so really understanding that our body is a whole system and that if you're trying to train it, you need to be in tune and aware of of what you're doing down at the foot, what it affects up, you know, in the neck or the shoulders and the spine. So that's been um, a big thing for me lately. Uh, and so then I, then I studied rolfing because I thought it was, um, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if you thought this in the past, but I thought that if, if uh, you always had an issue, say one leg was stronger than the other or you, you know, people say, oh, I can't balance well on my left leg and, and no matter how, how hard I try, it never gets better. I was kind of, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to stick with these, these imbalances. Maybe surgery would be something that would fix it. But the cool thing is the body is totally adaptable and, and changeable. It just gets really used to what it does the most. And it's very lazy in that, in that respect. So um, if you started out skiing and right from early on, you sort of initiated a turn with your left foot differently to the right, and you kept doing that for, for years and years and years until someone, when you got to your level four, said, hey, the way you, you roll your left foot over at the top of the turn is not quite right. You've got so many years of inbuilt motor patterns that are so hard to change. But, but the cool thing is can be changed, can be changed. If you give the body um, a better option, an option that is more efficient, so it doesn't take more energy but is actually easier and, and puts less stress on the system and is more balanced, the body will automatically choose that. So How, how long does it take you, for example, to, to change a movement pattern? Um, so that's pretty interesting because, uh, I, you know, you've heard of that 10,000 hour, 10, hour rule. Yeah. yeah. So there's obviously grades along that scale. I don't know if I totally believe in that anymore because I've had some moments working on something, um, an alignment issue uh, on, I keep saying left foot, that's because where, where I'm kind of working on my left foot where I'll work on some movements of, uh, of that foot doing a particular move, so a supination move with, with my pelvis in a certain position and my spine kind of in a certain position, my head a certain way, my shoulders a certain way. And I can do that for three minutes and if I get really in tune with that for those three minutes and it's not just a repetitive movement that I'm just doing because I should do 50 of these and that's going to count towards 50 of getting there, Doesn't those 50, if they're not exactly the right one, they're useless, completely useless. So for that three minutes, if I'm in tune every time, it's slightly different. It's more towards a kind of a strange feeling that I'm not used to each time then in that three minutes I can walk away and my body feels completely different. My leg will feel lighter, my head will feel it like it's in a different space, my spine, I can video myself and my spine will feel like it's um, moving left and right evenly. 
but probably actually will feel like it's actually flexing more to the to the left than usual, but in the video it's it's even. And the, that sort of things, those are the sort of things you want to look for. You've got to be outside of your comfort zone to be changing something because your proprioception keeps you if 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 you're if if, if I give you the analogy of like a, a sphere around yourself being your your kind of um, proprioception awareness and if um, from the center of my mass to all these different points on the sphere are kind of colored lines coming out of all different colors and their potential movements I can make and if I only have say I don't know you know like a thousand and there's a spot right over here in this corner of the sphere that is kind of missing a whole bunch of there's no lines really going in there then every any time I go near that my brain is going to go where we're unsure of this territory let's just deviate a little bit this way and we'll just go into the same space we know and we'll think we're going into that area but we're not we're just going into the same the same spot that we've done before so you've got to venture into these areas it's like wow that feels really different I just lost my balance I had to I had to tilt my head way further to the right than I'm used to when I'm in this position. That's that's a that was one repetition of something that was brand new. And so I'm trying to look for those things, those different feelings in movement and then in skiing try and translate that into skiing in order to know that I'm actually moving forward in my skiing. So it's got to feel different. So you say that uh, like changing your skiing um, can take like uh, it's kind of uh, a bit uh, those 10,000 uh, hour hours. rule is kind of uh, huge. Yep. But for sure, I guess it depends where you start from. A guy like you, if you decide you want to change something in your short turns, for example, yep. um, like what kind of time frame are you looking at to create a change, change in in high level skiing. Yep. Um, okay. For instance, one thing this last winter that uh, Paul was helping me with in my short turns was um, just being able to roll over more actively, um, letting my ankles and knees fall into the inside of the turn in a low position. So that whole kind of component in the transition. Um, I could do that movement in a like a kind of a more basic so on the edge I could get the movement happening at a slower speed on a blue pitch steep to you know like a good blue pitch with some steering involved so not purely carved pretty quick because yeah. I'm in tune with my body and I, I know how to make that movement and I reckon it probably took every day for it was only like I don't know, a week before I really noticed in the video, it was really present. So I don't think that long because I knew exactly mm. what movement I wanted to do. I was, I was familiar because I would, I would sit at the couch, on the couch at home and I would go through the movements in my head doing it and picturing myself doing it on the slope and how it would, would move. And, and I could tell one side was... Um, was harder because even sitting on the couch, I couldn't really imagine it very well. So it took me some time in my head just to actually think about 
what exactly am I doing? Where are my hips? Where's, where am I looking? Like, what does that feel like? It, it felt strange to even think about it on the couch and try and do it, whereas the other side was okay. So once I, you know, worked on that at home, then out skiing, yeah, I, I definitely felt within a week I'd, I'd started changing it to a visible viewpoint on a camera. Um, and then, yeah, probably by, by the time Interski came around, it was, yeah, it was pretty well in there. Obviously, some more things I'd like to refine with it, but it was a, it was a totally different move and I'd added it in within, yeah, a few months, so. That's interesting, like, uh, I'm hearing uh, that you're using some imagery, like, in order to, I strongly believe we can change our skiing when we're not on the slopes, yep. so that's a little bit what I hear with your comment there. Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah, image imagery is, is massive, um, it's all good and well to kind of know what your body, you know, should be doing and you can practice on the spot. But if you, you've got to be able to kind of picture it and, and like this idea of proprioception, this sphere around you, you've got to know how that movement fits in with your environment. So how that movement, when you're, when you're pictured yourself on that black slope, how that, how that movement would would be kind of performed in your head where where would the snow how far would the snow be away relative to your knees as you roll them you know how far away would your head be from that point would your head be kind of more over your inside knee would it be more over your outside knee like if you can just build a picture of where everything is sitting so detailed even from the back like from the back what does it look like how much of the back of my jacket do i see do i see my my right wrist in that picture is the right wrist covered like disappeared from the back view because it's it's moving right over over the top of my body is it left behind you know so you build a really a really good picture and i think that that's that's huge that's interesting so what uh, like i hear like uh, paul was uh, asking you to uh, to roll from a bit of a lower position so that has been one of the thing you've played with? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, and the thing I like, it's, it's not something that I'm going to do all the time, but it is something that I'm, that is, it's an element in my skiing that I don't really have at the moment. So, in that sphere, it's, it's, it's this area down in front low that in, when I get out on skis that I'm, I don't really know how to do well or have, have now gotten better at doing. And um, so that low movement, yeah, I think it's really interesting uh, that Paul has started playing with that and, and you can really see it in his short turns, how how well he transitions and crosses over in a short turn, how early his, his skis got on, get on edge. And um, yeah, and it's it's quite cool because um, I guess uh, from like the biomechanical standpoint, yeah, when you're in that low position, um, like your, your, your lower leg, your tibia is, is looser, it's unlocked and is allowed a certain, a little amount of uh, rotation, um, which also allows your foot 
to pronate more and roll over. So you can kind of hack the body a little bit to access a little bit more pronation at the at the start of your turn. Um, yeah, to get on the edge earlier. Yeah. So we've been talking like last discussion we've had. Like I was so inspired about like you were talking uh, about foot pronation and you've done a, a video that you post on uh, on YouTube about this. Like, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you've personally been doing on that topic and how it affects your skiing? Yeah. So, um, I guess uh, in the video I kind of explain, at first a lot of people think that, that foot pronation um, is purely more just like the foot rolling over so a movement that is more lateral than than anything else um, so when when you when your foot is kind of resting in a non pronated position it's kind of it's unloaded um, it's almost like a, a three-legged table so if you google right now a picture of the, uh, the skeletal foot and you get a view from the top of it and you look down on top of it, you will see that it is, it is like a, a three-legged table. The heel uh, behind the pinky toe and behind the big toe being the, the three points and there's almost like a missing table leg on the inside half of the heel. So, so that inside part there is deliberately um, built into the human system because with that instability of the foot kind of having being on a three-legged table, as soon as you weight it, the weight wants to drop the foot and roll it into that missing ta a table leg space. So as your foot does that, you can imagine as bones fall into that space, muscles have to react and catch the bones from falling completely flat against the floor. So someone who has a really flat pronated arch, the muscles in their foot never for whatever reason got a chance to be loaded in that way so the way that that person pronated never really allowed that kind of this trampoline effect of the bones falling and the muscles catching uh, the bones of the bones of the feet so if you can get your foot to just naturally fall into this three-legged table uh, spot and load that inside sort of inner arch then your whole foot not only rolls to the side, but it lengthens, like it spreads long, and all those muscles stretch long, like, like a catapult being loaded up. And so if you can do that early on, your whole body, it's amazing the chain reaction that goes up through the leg, through the hip, through the spine, that switches on all these muscles to stabilize and kind of suspend and hold your body there as everything's kind of falling down. So that sets you up for being them reacting and contracting later on and giving yourself, you know, power and, and, and explosiveness. So I've just been playing with pronation as, I guess, a trigger to set my body off so I know everything is, is balanced and working right. Um, what are the steps you're using in order to, uh, like, use that movement? So, uh, I mean, if we go back to just what humans are built to do, we're built to walk. So, uh, I'll simply just work on having one foot forward, one foot back, just as though I was taking a step and have my center of mass behind my front foot. 
and then bring it over the top of my lead foot and, it, and as the center of mass is coming over the top of it, just feeling my foot make this pronation or fall where the bones lengthen and, and drop to the floor and all the muscles kind of gently lengthen and my whole body is kind of caught and ba balanced really well on top of that foot. And I'll just repeat that back and forth in front of a mirror, in front of a camera or whatever and watch it and just see are all the bones just being, are they all articulating and, and is the body just smoothly allowing that to happen? So I'll do that and it really takes patience. You can't force pronation. There are no muscles that actually make the foot pronate. It is a letting go movement. So if you take that into skiing, in the transition, I guess as, you, as you're finishing a turn and you're wanting a new outside ski to grip and your body to be balanced over that point, just like you're walking forward, you, you step off your right foot onto your left foot, your body needs to be ready and balanced over that left foot in order for you to take the weight off your right foot. You're not going to take the weight off the right foot if your left foot is not a good balance platform. You're going to be on it for a second, then you're just going to get off of it. Yeah. So you might be on it for a second, but you're unbalanced. You're not there completely solid and happy. So there's definitely an element of of timing and being relaxed when you allow that pronation to occur. So, so how many times have you told people at the start of the turn not to rush it, right? So many people rush that start of the turn. It's probably because they're not balanced on that new outside foot. There's no time for that foot to pronate. If your toes are gripping, if you're, you know, like you're, you're clawing the bottom of your boot, your, your back behind your feet, your feet grip, there's no relaxation opening of all the bones on the bottom of your foot to set off this triggered reaction of your whole body being ready so you've got to i guess it's fun in a medium turn to just play with this really relaxed taking your time being balanced letting the foot pronate and all the bones open um, before you turn just like i mean ted Leary just came into my head then as you see him start a turn he's not rushed to to get in there he just lets everything open up and be balanced and then all the kind of the, the, the power starts. So you've got to give, got to give the, the system time to, to load. If you try and load it too soon by tensing up, it, you know, there's, there's no spring to it. It's like trying to, yeah, yeah it's jumping on a trampoline versus j jumping on, you know, like concrete. It's just like totally different. That's super interesting. So that's the way you kind of set up the system. Once you're on the new edge and the pressure belt and the foot is into pronation, you're engaging into the turn. What are the elements that you are focusing on in order to have a smooth ride? A smooth ride. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty cool. If you set that up, that part up pretty well, the rest is definitely a lot smoother um, and I say in the video as well I, I don't think that this pronation lasts for that long so your foot pronates you get on the edge but as you as with the analogy of the bones opening and the and the muscles stretching and lengthening to give you some sort of balance and spring that's a that's a good springiness to start and balance the turn, but later on as the pressure builds, your body needs to become more rigid. So you need a stronger outside leg. Um, 
And so now I don't know if everyone totally agrees with me, but, but I think your foot actually starts supinating a little bit from the, like, the fall line towards the end. Um, because only because um, if your foot doesn't change from being open, all the bones relax and the muscles stretch to being then contracted and all the bones closed and, and the foot creates a nice strong arch, um, the rest of your system has to kind of lock up and be, uh, and be really rigid as a result. So I guess the start of the turn, the initiation, your foot is the loose, the loose thing to allow everything else to kind of relax and be on top. And then your foot, once it's found its spot, becomes more rigid so the rest of your body can relax and you can move more inside and, and get everything set up for, for higher edge angles and, and build up of pressure. So yeah, I think after pronation, your foot enters um, a little bit of a, a supination phase where your arch is not rolling in further. It's actually starting to do the opposite and it depends on your goal but the timing of when you start to supinate is going to mean how cleanly you exit the turn. So if you're able to exit the turn um, not on your edges but coming off and onto a flat ski which gives you glide and, and um, direction and, and flow across the hill. If you keep trying to pronate then you keep falling inside and you kind of you kill that energy. So the timing of the supination is something I've been playing with and some of the, the best turns I feel I've made on video were in uh, Japan playing with this. So from the fall line, I was actually trying to press my outside foot flat. And, and I know that goes against the, the ski edge, but as I did that, a chain reaction went up through my lower leg, through my thigh, my hip stabilized itself, my glutes turned on, my spine kind of balanced itself on top of that outside leg. Everything went like, like this big strong lever and the ski really gripped and, and pushed me across. I didn't feel like I had less edge. I felt like I had stronger, more powerful um, edge. So That's yeah. super interesting. And like what, I, what you describe over there, I think is a key to connect turns cleaner. Sometimes Absolutely. we hold on a little bit too long and then we end up releasing a little bit quick. Like we get kind of uh, like the center of us rises a little bit. Like we don't deflect and connect as well on the new ski. So that's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, depending on your goal, that, that pronation, the length of how long you just stay relaxed there is going to change depending what you, you want as the outcome and when you start to supinate and, and turn your whole body into a more of a, a whole rigid structure rather than a suspending structure, that's going to change depending on when you want the ski to release and when you want the energy to shoot, shoot you across the hill. Um, but yeah, you take if, if you try and get in a position like a long... Uh, stacked position on your outside leg like all the World Cup races are in and and even just standing there you try and pronate your foot or roll your foot over you will feel that your knee doesn't like it you will feel that your hip internally rotates and starts pinching against the inside of your, your hip joint it's just not the way the human body moves there has to be some element of allowing a bit of 
um, <laughs> strangely external rotation when you're still turning in the other direction in order for your whole body to just be happy and balanced against that outside edge. So. Super. Very, very interesting. And like when you come just before the finish of the turn, what do you feel when you're going, let's say, from, from your maximum edge to the release and connection to the new turn? What are you trying to feel in that part of the turn in your skiing? Uh, that part, I'm already thinking about setting my new outside foot up to be ready so it it is gonna pronate properly um it's in a in a position ready to to take my new the balance of where my mass is going to be pushed because after i'm if i get a good redirection and and um slingshot from one turn my mass is is moving in that direction so i need to start thinking about you know it being ready to be right over the top of what's going to be my new outside foot so yeah once that's happening i'm totally just setting up the the next new outside foot you're thinking ahead yeah thinking ahead and then i mean and then i try not to think too much i try and do that with a few drills because as i said once your body feels the more efficient way of doing things it will choose that but if you never really experience it and it's not in your sphere of things to do, then it won't choose it. So it's definitely going to be a bit harmful if you have to think about it all the time too much and you're obviously never getting to that, that new outside your comfort zone spot if you have to keep thinking about it. Definitely need to feel like you're entering some space where you can just, your body is like, I know where that is. I know where that where that foot is ready so it, it loads up and I'm totally balanced on top and I know that you know when I want when I want to feel that that ping that slingshot across the hill I don't have to think about supinating my foot my body just knows how to create that position and and go so. last time we talked you were you were talking to me about like uh, balancing a little bit more like uh, on the outside part of your heel first yep in order to get a little bit more range in your uh, in your foot pronation yeah yeah absolutely so um if uh if if early edge to give an analogy is a town you want to visit so you want to visit early edge at the top of your turn you need to be in another town of like before early edge which lives, you know, a couple of centimeters away in order to feel that your body has visited early edge. If you're already in the town of early edge, which I think a lot of people are, they do it too early, then you never experience it. You're you're already there. So you need to be out of that spot and so pronate, pronation being the foot rolling in and lengthening and dropping to that three-legged tail, you've got to be back from that spot before it happens in order to feel your body to have a reaction. If it's already reacted before that point, it's too late. Like you, This you just, is yeah. really interesting. So I've been playing with that since we talked. And you're right. Like sometimes I'm thinking about being on the edge early, but I'm not using the catapult effect of that full pronation. 
So if I don't try to force it, and I start a little bit more towards the outside part of my foot, yep. it feels so much more powerful. I yeah. feel I have so much more range. Yep, yep, so, absolutely. Just like you can't, you can't jump up to, to dunk a basketball without bending down first. You can't exactly. reach your end goal if you don't kind of go backwards and and go up. So your your outside of your heel is kind of that that loading point for just one vector of direction to help pronation. It's not the whole thing, but it's definitely one aspect that I think people are missing. They're perhaps trying to get onto that pronated foot, that early edge, too soon rather than being just outside of it first so that when their balance hits it, and I know people, if we put it up as a video, they'll be able to see, but if that's the outside of my heel is sort of um, behind my pinky toe on my hand, uh, pinky finger, if that hits the ground first, then the way the, the heel bone is shaped, even the, 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 the design of it, it wants to just roll into that space. But if you hit it here already flat, there's, no, there's nowhere to suspend. So your foot won't be part of the action. You'll probably have to do something else in your body to get a reaction you need like your muscles work like that they they need kind of stimulus they need lengthening in order to react to it. if they're already lengthened all they want to do next is contract so if your foot is already pronated and contracted down it's the next thing it's want to, going to want to do is try and come up to try and get some kind of loading or you're going to have to move your knee in more or you're going to have to move your hips in more or you're going to have to move something to load to get a reaction so if you can start really early with the foot then that's probably the best place you can you can begin i've tested that and honestly i have to admit in long terms it's like incredible in short terms sometimes it gives me so much power and so much grip that uh, my ski kinds of settle into the snow and it I'm uh, sometimes having uh, trouble with controlling the direction. So what do you, when you use that concept in your short term, how do you make sure that you're able to control the speed? Because you will be balanced super early, but you generate a lot of speed using that. <laughs> I, I, same as you, I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> That's definitely, yeah, yeah. But you know, one thing, one yeah. thing I I kind of figured out, like it's uh, if I try to be like I'm going from the outside part of my heels towards the inside part of the foot, but I'm not actually kind of uh, trying to focus too much on the outside foot. I'm actually trying to pull the inside the uh, outside foot with the motion of my inside one. Is that something that you are playing with? So, so explain it to me again. So you're finishing a turn, and you're you're pulling your inside foot back. Is that my my? Uh, in fact, like I try to use the inside foot as the decider, yeah, and the outside foot as the rider. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Do you, you play with that in your skiing? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I'd probably, I might think of it a little bit differently, differently, but yeah, absolutely that, um, that idea of the inside foot sort of 
yeah, being the decider, I like that. That's yeah, where where that is in space relative to the other foot is is like really going to determine when I can set up my body to to get on top of that new outside ski. Because um, something that you've been, what I really like about what you say is that the pronation is going to become a result of balancing on the proper spot under the foot and allowing it to happen. So if I take yeah. away my focus from the outside foot and I just try to kind of lead the switch a little bit more with my new inside foot, yep, uh, everything's happened more naturally. I have a little bit more uh, freedom. Freedom, to, yeah. Like yep. kind of uh, control a little bit. Like if I overthink outside foot, Yep. I lock myself up. Yeah. And very often I'll push my center of mass to the inside of the turn at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess if you thought thought about it another way, what you're saying is you if if your new outside foot is not kind of letting go, it hasn't you know, then you're um, then sorry, if your old outside foot is not letting go, right, and you haven't given it directions, then your brain is not thinking right. We're switching balance to the new foot. Exactly. Yeah. So, what I really like about what you've just said earlier is, like, the foot in the last part of the turn, you kind of allow it to to flatten like, and roll over. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which I've been kind of uh, struggling a little bit with that. I've been keeping it too rigid too late in the turn and it, it, it was getting difficult to connect the turns. So I really like that and it, it's in line with that idea of like your next inside foot being the decider into the turn yep. and the outside foot just enjoying the ride and like using the full range of pronation. Like, like I, I think... Uh, like this is something we've discussed about uh, like last time and uh, I really enjoy the feeling of that. So you know how you asked me at the beginning some of the things I've been working on. Yeah. I think it can be really helpful. So if you're, if you're focusing on that outside foot uh, being released or rolling flat right from that turn, if, if you make that movement even on the chair here so you have your foot tipped over and, and then you just make a move to roll it flat, with your leg out to the side, what do you feel your shin do? Which way does your shin rotate? So just just try it. So right now, if your foot is relaxed and so your foot's rolling free on the inside to being flat, so you got more pressure towards the outside of the foot. Which way does your shin rotate? Inward. Inward or. Outward. A outward. Outward? Yeah, yeah. outward. Sorry. Outward, yeah. Outward. So as you go from being more pressured on the big toe side and, and your foot is like this, my left foot is like this, and then I go like that, yeah. my shin rotates to the outside. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So then if you follow that up, where does your the leg bone above that go? It's connected, so it, it's also going to rotate outward. For sure, yeah. Right. Like it's yep. kind of leading the release. Yeah, yeah. And you follow that up to the hip. What does that do? Your your hip also wants to start kind of following that movement. Yep. Yeah. So you, so 
you follow that up and, and then your spine also eventually, everything will start to unwind and follow that foot over into the new turn. So perhaps next time go out and just like in a super slow long turn, just focus on, on, on the foot and then the next one, foot, foot and shin, foot, shin and thigh, foot, shin, thigh, pelvis, just so everything is communicated and is all moving in together. Because that foot rolling, there's, there's a bone in your foot, uh, the talus bone, right? It is, um, let's see. So this one right here, and when your foot pronates, the talus rolls in. And basically, can you see that okay? Yeah. Yep. Um, your whole body follows the taluses of your feet. So as that moves in, your pelvis wants to follow and move and, and follow that rotation. And your other foot, my other foot, when I do that, the same thing would happen. So both taluses move together. Same going this way. The whole body follows it. So if your foot, if the talus is rotating out this way, the shin follows, the leg follows, and your center of mass is going to want to follow <coughs> and move over with that foot. Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, you know, we every organization in the world, like they talk about like the turn being led with the lower body, but that those principles, they clarify this so much yeah. more. Yep, totally. Totally. Like, <laughs> I, I really enjoy that. I, I'd like, uh, like you talked at the beginning about your skiing being a little bit more rigid in the past and uh, like you're working a lot on uh, like making a little bit more natural moves, the muscles being a little bit more relaxed. Um, and I hear that you've been achieving that goal with uh, using your foot properly and uh, like the foot moving properly will allow a little bit more suppleness in the in the joints that are over that foot. Yep. Um, what else do you think is key in order to develop looser muscles and looser articulations? What have you used in order to develop that flow in your skiing? Cool. Yeah. Good question. Good question. Uh, it comes back to that same concept of. Uh, just I guess um, one of the, in terms of body stuff, my favorite, my main mentors, and I think is a really intelligent guy is Gary Ward, and he's got this uh, system called Anatomy in Motion. One of the principles is your your joints act and your muscles react. So I'm just trying to get in tune with uh, to be loose. I'm trying to lead with joint movements and bone movements, so that my muscles learn to react to that. So if my spine is falling this way, it's not because I'm contracting the muscles on this side to help pull me this way. I'm letting go and it's actually the muscles on the opposite side that are controlling the rate of how fast I fall, right? And so they're learning to, to manage my body in all these different directions. So I've just been working on training in the gym and at home, eccentric loading basically. Yep, so letting the, the muscles react to whatever body position I'm in. So trying to create positions, um, not only in skiing, but everything where um, if, I'm, if, my, if my body is hanging off this arm 
what muscles are decelerating or stopping me from getting completely pulled apart. So it's, it's like we've talked about in the part, this idea of suspension, just trying to get my whole body to, to feel this idea of suspension. So the, the bones being pushed into different places, like leaning, the bones leaning into the muscles. So the muscles have to kind of stretch and then they're going to contract back. So if I want to go behind me, I've got to let my muscles fall sort of, or my bones fall forward so the muscles that push me back have more to react against. So the That's whole body. Super. Yeah. Very, very interesting. On my side, I've been, uh, like, I've been working a lot on the inside half of my body in order to get the outside half achieve what I want to do. Is that something you've played with a lot? That's what I hear and what you're talking about right now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but I guess, uh, yes, it would be different parts of the inside half of my body because um, I guess another thing uh, to, to talk about that is I've been playing with, so how your body balances the inside half of your um, torso if you're leaning over in a ski turn this way, how it manages that is completely different if I'm mostly balanced on my inside foot as opposed to balanced on my outside foot. So it's all relative to what your base of support is. So if your base of support is 70 outside, 30 inside, and you're feeling some loading here, it's going to feel completely different if you start going 80, 90% outside foot, 10% inside, this is going to have to work a lot harder. Yep. And there's going to be muscles on the sort of hard to see in my body, but the, like the inner leg on my right, like the adductors on my outside leg, I think we've talked about, they've got to, they've got to understand that their role is to decelerate my pelvis moving inside. The hip abductors on the inside leg around my hip, they've got to understand that they need to, they have a role, they can't contract, they've got to relax to allow my pelvis to move inside because they're the things that are going to save me. When I decide I'm finished with that turn and I'm going to pronate <coughs> the new foot, they're going to help contract my pelvis and my center of mass back to, the, to being balanced over the top of my feet again. So it's all relative to your base of support. So I've been training, you know, uh, putting my body in various positions but with my feet, with my balance differently on my left or my right or split somewhere in between and getting to, getting to feel um, what that's like. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, with the background you have, you are kind of a lot more aware of what the body parts are doing when you're coaching people, like for sure it's all that is very internal. Like how can you give them uh, some cues in order to achieve a little bit like, like all those, uh, those internal things? What do you use? Yeah. What do you use in order to make it a little bit more kind Accessible. of… Accessible. Yeah. And yeah. so they have like… Less complicated. Some, well… Like, I, I can understand super well. I'm always, every time we talk, I'm saying, okay, that's interesting. So now, how am I going to feel that? So yeah. I, you probably have that question a lot. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I guess one thing that's been fun, rather than straight away doing it in skiing, I've had a lot of success with just stepping off the skis and trying to feel that movement um, just just on your feet so that if you let your body move inside with more balance on your outside foot, where where do you feel a deceleration? Yeah. You don't have to tell them parts, just like, yeah, touch the area right there, right? So they got a kinesthetic feeling or, or if they're trying to move their inside half in, just focusing on different areas, okay? Like move like your uh the the inside the outside of your thigh close to this point on the snow now move your rib cage close to the snow so just giving uh like i was saying with the proprioception your body just understands more if you give it a relationship of the of of where the structure is in relation to the environment so an external cue so put your your hips just got to get that much close to the snow Yep. Your head's got to be not as not as close. Your head's got to be closer to your outside binding. Um, yeah, so I guess those are just lots of lots of external cues and and questioning. You've got to question the person. Like you can't assume if you say when you do this, you'll feel it here. You've got to then ask the person. Okay, when you do that, do you feel it here? And if they if they feel it somewhere else, then there's there's straight away your your kind of insight into what they're doing, and um, so you can kind of move on from there and get them to play around with what have you got to do to make yourself, you know, feel loading in these areas? Because most of the people that come in, like to give an example, with pain into my clinic, <clears throat> if they are making a simple movement of shifting their hips left and right, a lot of the time they'll shift one way. And they say, I feel it here, it's really tight here. And it's in the completely the wrong spot that should be decelerating that movement. It's a spot that should be maybe contr- like contracting that movement but not decelerating it. So their body has gotten around it and forgotten some of the, 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 the muscles or the joint movements that get those proper muscles decelerating. So, yeah. That's super interesting. I, <laughs> I really... Uh... Yeah, I think it's I mean inspiring. It's hard for us uh, as instructors, but you know, like uh, people need to be more body aware. Like we talk about um, intelligence of the brain and all that sort of stuff, but you know, kinesthetic intelligence, intelligence of how your body moves and 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 listening to it. So many people don't listen to their body. They go to the gym and they smash out massive reps and sets because they want to lose weight. And then, you know, two weeks later, they end up with a sore back or their knees sore or whatever because they weren't listening to their body. They were just going through the motions, not, not feeling what's happening, not being in tune. And so, of course, you go, you know, you go out skiing and someone asks you to do something. I've got no idea how to do that. Well, you, pro- you, you can't even feel the right things when you step from left foot to right foot. When you go to sit down in a chair, you just like flunk down. So if people can be, if they really want to get better at their skiing, they need to start taking up some practice outside of that to get in tune with their body so they listen to it f- for feedback. Um, you know, you've got those crazy, incredible people like the, the Dutch guy, Wim Hof, who's so in tune with his uh, vascular system, his blood. He can, he can be in freezing cold um, environments for, for 
way longer than humans should be able to and he can keep his core temperature warm because he can control the blood flow, how fast it's going, whether, where it's going in his body just through being totally in tune with, with his body. You know, we can do incredible things if we, if we actually get in touch with it. So, Love it. Like, honestly, again, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff uh, in there. What do you, have you been uh, working on your stands? Um, like, what elements are important for you in order to, because I've been playing with my stance lately in order to allow some freedom of movement. Like, what do you look for in your stance in order to allow that flow to, uh, to, be, to be there when you're skiing? Um, so give me an example of what you've been working on that's made it, made you more mobile. Like, for example, in my stance, I really try to work on the angle of my pelvis. Like, I realize that I'm kind of uh, uh, locking myself up in a bit of an interior tilt in the pelvis. And I wanted to bring it back a little bit more neutral, so I just uh, unlock my legs. I unlock yep. my lower joints. Yep. So this is something I've been playing with a lot. So yeah. Does does that? Yeah. Is that, this something you're using? Uh, yeah. So I I went through a stage of really trying to be uh, have this idea of of a neutral spine, and I think it's a good concept. It's a good idea, but it is completely rare. It's just not possible to maintain a neutral position all the time with with all these supple movements going on. So what I've been trying to do in my stance is, is not force my pelvis to stay in one position, but have some articulation either side. So where I want that cent central position to be in, I, I just allow it to be to rock either side of that as, as I'm skiing. So it gets a little bit... Um, too complex to say when things are happening but it definitely comes from the foot like when you pronate for example the chain reaction up your body through your ankle through your knee to your hip causes more of an anterior tilt so if i'm feeling that my pelvis is rolling backwards and i'm kind of slumping at the point that i'm trying to pronate that's that's not right that doesn't connect with this kind of dominoes of of one joint going like this next joint going like that next joint going like that right same thing, when, when I supinate um, in the fall line, I actually want to allow my pelvis to have a little bit of posterior tilt because that allows the adductors to work better to decelerate. It allows um, my hip to be in a better position against my pelvis. So I'm trying not to now hold it in the one position. I'm trying for it to be just like my foot adaptable and a little bit mobile and then that means the rest of my body can sort of adjust to it and um, and again like your muscles react to, to your bones positions and where they're falling where they're moving to so if your pelvis stays you know locked and your spine is locked above that your muscles just stay completely locked around they're not getting challenged and know how to deal with when you do hit ice and your and your your foot goes away and your spine needs to have a bit of flexing it this way and your 
abdominal obliques need to lengthen and, and control that movement. If you're always training in here and you're never allowing these sort of subtle little movements to happen, your, your body won't know what to do when that happens. So I guess I've been training a little bit outside of neutral because neutral is not possible. It's a good place to be aware of like where it is. It's uh, an using analogy. It's a town you visit and you want to know where that, that spot is, but you want to know all the towns around it and know how to, to be there and the road back home to, to neutral and center again. Super, so, super interesting. Yeah. Um, like just to finish, you have uh, like you want to talk about uh, some other stuff that you've been playing with uh, in your skiing uh, lately? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I love I love skiing moguls, and I think that's something an area people a lot of people struggle with because you're you're not just dealing with a flat surface with bumps, um, and so there needs to be way kind of bigger ranges of motion um, up and down. And so I've been playing with um, cogs, I guess, or just this idea of if, if the pelvis is tilting this way, the rib cage is going to be tilting the other way and the head's going to be opposing that because they all balance each other. Um, so I've been playing with, in moguls, the timing of uh, when my pelvis is anteriorly tilting and at the same time my rib cage sort of going the other way. So I maintain an upright position as I as the mogul hits so I'm in a good position my muscles can deal with this this sort of this uh this load being pushed through the system and then my head at that same time so just uh the, the three parts of pelvis rib cage and head just how they're timed together in the moguls has been really fun to play with and I'm going to do a little video hopefully at some point to try and explain how people can, can play with that. But I guess the one thing you could try and do is if if you just take one mogul and you, you ski across the hill or diagonally into it in a taller position and as the mogul pushes into your legs and it flexes your ankle, flexes your knee and your, your, hips, your pelvis starts to bend, your hips bend, at that same time as the pelvis is bending, See if you can lift your rib cage up to the sky, but at the same time, drop your chin down to your rib cage. And what will happen is your whole spine ends up stacking itself up in one straight line, and all the muscles lengthen. And guess what? The next thing they want to do once, if you maintain that position, is unload. And guess what? Your legs are going to shoot down the back of the backside of the mogul so you're not going to have to try and push them down or whatever everything is loaded so when you get over the crest of the bump and you're going down the other side you just relax and everything whoosh, lengthens and unwinds again come into the next one if you maintain this this rib cage up pelvis tilting forward the hamstrings even load so you get this loading effect in your hamstrings you go over the backside of the bump the hamstrings contract and fire your legs go down and back behind you and your center of mass shoots forward over your feet again. Love it. Like, yeah. there's so much, like, what I hear, it, there's so much happening as a result of loading the muscles properly and allowing it, 
like just to come back in the initial position or even yeah. like sometimes Possibly. the reaction yeah. is the catapult reaction yeah which is something that we talk about a lot and i i really enjoy those discussions like and we can all relate to like sometimes we have a, a nice turn you release and you really feel that like the unwinding is yeah like making the, the the start of the next turn for us yeah yeah exactly it's that part that i think is the unwinding part is the most enjoyable part but you've yeah. got to lo- know how to wind up first to get that you yeah, can't wind definitely. up by you can't wind up by uh, gripping and pulling in you got to let things kind of spread apart and joints go further apart so muscles lengthen in order to get that slingshot tom like again it's been so nice i that was an inspiring discussion and thank you so much for doing all those podcasts and i'm glad that we finally have that discussion and uh, it's always super fun to uh, hear what you have to say and uh, very very inspiring so thank you so much for talking about skiing even if we're all in snow and you're in Australia in your shorts and uh, flip flops (laughs) so hopefully we uh, get to ski together soon and thanks a lot for uh, for this great discussion yeah thanks very much JF and uh, yeah look forward hopefully to maybe catching up with you in May hopefully so we can so I can show you this stuff in uh in in real time and we can play with it yeah i look forward to it so thanks a lot tom pleasure thanks see some of you may already know that i've been advising carve and working with the team for some time now and this year the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date they've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your Ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.